Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Joining me is my co-host, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and veteran journalist, Stephen Kerr. 65 plus years in sports journalism between the two of us. By the way, later in the show, we look at potential Texans free agent high-end wide receiver targets, along with the legacy of an Astro who passed away this week. Stephen, before we delve into the top five wide receiver targets, though, have you thought about how you would spend the Texans free agent money? Which positions would you do do that? Where would you look? Well, first and foremost, Robert, I would have to go defensive front with Jonathan Bernard. And I I kind of liken this to the Laramie Tunsil situation. You know, you had to kind of overpay for Laramie because the left tackle, so important in protecting the quarterback. Well, your defensive front is pretty darn important if you want to rush the quarterback. And if the Texans believe that Jonathan Grenard, that his upside is going to continue with the kind of season he had this past year. Granted, he had the injury toward the end. But if they believe that upside can continue, I think that they may need to make that the top priority to keep him, even if it means overpaying him a little bit. Now, you know, I, I wouldn't go crazy over it. There are some guys out there, but I definitely would say Grenard is first and foremost. Yeah, I, I'm going to get to Grenard in a second, but I agreed with you. Look, they've got roughly $61.8 million in cap space, which is fourth most in the league. But keep in mind, they've got a bunch of free agents who contribute a lot to winning in the last year. You either have to resign them or replace them. Grenard's going to cost close to 20 per year, you would guess. And they might not include that in the signing bonus or, you know, it's the signing bonus usually is even more than that, I should say. Right. I don't let a young edge rusher walk personally, because if you do, you still got to replace him and you can't back yourself into a corner at a certain position in the draft. And beyond Bernard, maybe you can make one splash in a position group, but I don't even know if you can do that. D'Amico said we got to get better up front. So, Stephen, I'm with him. I grab one of the better defensive tackles if you can make that splash there and if that guy is available. Yeah, I heard him say that too. And I was nodding my head as soon as he said it because, you know, we, I mean, we saw it in the Ravens game and we saw it in a, a few other games. I mean, the, you know, the, tax, the Texans, have certainly gotten better on the front, but they need to continue to get better. And that's why I think it's important. You know, look how long it took Renard to develop. So are you going to start over with another edge rusher and try to do the same thing in the draft? I mean, it's not that deep as far as his position goes. So that would be my first and foremost. You know, the running game is going to be almost right behind it, second or third, certainly. Because, you know, if it weren't for Devin Singletary having the second half of the season that he did, it would have been a lot more difficult for C.J. Stroud to be successful in the passing game. They've just got to shore up the running game, Robert. Damian Pierce was such a disappointment. I didn't expect him to have quite such a down season. I thought maybe it'd drop off a little bit. But yeah, the running game has definitely got to get better. Yeah, and we're going to go through the other positions as we approach free agency for sure. And the running backs is that position, as you can imagine, we're going to be talking about. But I want to talk about wide receivers because that's been a little bit, I feel it's a little controversial or maybe it's just me against everybody else because I feel like, you know, this is not something where I'm going to be panicking about them getting, oh, a great, great wide receiver. And when you look at the wide receivers, keep in mind, it's considered a deep wide receiver draft. And if the Texans do make a splash, the name everybody talks about is Galveston's own Mike Evans. The 10-year vet is 30, never misses games, gets 1,000 yards every year. Stroud, who, by the way, congratulations, he made the Pro Bowl this week. He loves downfield threats. Evans is that guy. And Stephen... We know that Drayton would ask for the hometown discount. I don't know about what Casario is going to ask for. I, I don't see Evans taking that discount. Now, <laughs> now to you know, kind of piggyback on what you were saying 
about panicking. I'm not panicking about the wide receiver position. However, do you have some question marks? You know, Tank Dell with that injury, can he come back and be the Tank Dell that we saw this year? You know, you're going to lose Noah Brown if you don't re-sign him. He's a free agent. But I believe there's some other guys out there that, I, I mean, I have Noah, Noah further down on my list. Mike Evans would certainly be the guy, but the question is, are you going to be willing to step up and pay what he's probably worth? You, you look at just this past season, he had 127 targets, 79 receptions, 1,255 receiving yards. He had 13 receiving touchdowns and 15.9 yards per reception. Can you imagine, Robert, imagine this trio for a second. Nico Collins, Tank Dell, Mike Evans. That's just your top three. You could yeah. still go get a guy in the draft. You know, maybe that guy can shine too, but that would definitely strengthen your receiver core like a whole bunch. He's going to be the most expensive. He's number one on all the list as yeah. far as yeah. receiving guys available. And the number two guy that I've got is T Higgins. He's number two on most lists too. 24 years old too. He's young. He's on the Texans timeline. Might be available with the Bengals needing to pay number one wide receiver money to Jamar Chase. So they're in a tight bind there. And Steven, the Bengals could franchise tag him. So that's another way that they could get around this. But I would be shocked if the Texans were in on Higgins. That's certainly a name that I think you could talk about. And he certainly is a receiver that could give you what you want. Um, I had him further down on my list. I had, uh, and I'll get to T a little further down, but I had Michael Pittman as a guy that the Texans could certainly look at. Yeah, he's, 20, he's, yeah. he's, he's high. He's high on, on, on everybody's list. I think he's three on most lists as well. Yeah, well, I had him number two on mine. He's 26, and uh, you know his stats look pretty impressive. He had 109 receptions out of 150 targets, You know, over 1,100 receiving yards, 1,152. He only four receiving touchdowns, so that's a little bit down. And his reception yards is a little bit lower. 10.6, but you know, his, his overall grade is 77.7 if you're looking at PFF. So he, he's a guy that I looked at as well. He's hit 1,000 yards in two of his last three seasons for a Colts team without elite quarterback play. Let's not forget, they don't have C.J. Stroud. They don't have Patrick Mahomes as their quarterback. It's been a revolving door at that position. And Stephen, the best part of signing him is you can hurt a division opponent at the same time. Well, that's right. And that goes about to another guy on my list that I had too that we can get to, Robert, if you want if yeah. you want to move on. Go ahead. Calvin Ridley, the Jacksonville Jaguars in the division. You could steal him too. He's 29 and uh, he's he's pretty high up in the top 5 on most list. I I've got him pretty high on my list. You know, he's got the 76 receptions for over 1000 receiving yards, eight receiving touchdowns. So, his overall PFF grade is pretty impressive, 71.4. So, that's another guy if you want to Look in the division and snatch somebody. He'd be another guy to look at. He's kind of a young 29 years old because he lost a season in that gambling suspension, if anybody forgot about that. But also, you know, he, he came back with his second 1,000-yard season. The Jags already have Christian Kirk and Zay Jones, so I can see him walk, although they still owe the Falcons a second-round pick for Ridley, so that'll hurt a little bit. Obviously, we both said it. He weakens a division opponent like Pittman. But Stephen, also throw in that Ridley... He's got Alabama ties, so D'Amico might have a relationship with him, too. <laughs> yeah, there's always that chance. And after him, I, I certainly T. Higgins, you, you mentioned him earlier uh, with the Bengals. And he's 25, and that's definitely a guy I could see in a Texans uniform and really fitting in with C.J. Stroud. You know, he's got five receiving touchdowns and 15.6 yards per reception. Yeah, that, that's the guy you, you already talked about him, but uh, I had him pretty high on my list as well. The last guy in the top five on most list is the Cardinals' Marquise Brown. He's a Tank Dell-like player, shorter at five foot nine, like Dell, deep threat like Dell, who racks up yards after the catch like that. Very similar to Tank Dell, and maybe that's a slowic type. 
for his offense, but I'm going to say the Texans won't want a Tank Dell replica. So I'll throw in another Bengals free agent, Tyler Boyd. He's been super consistent, more than 57 receptions in his last six years. Every one of those last six years, he has given you at least 58 receptions. He had 117 yards versus the Texans, as people might remember. So (laughs) that's a guy that you don't have to deal with on the other side, but his market value is only $8 million per year, which doesn't sound like it would be super expensive. And again, I don't feel like they're going to want to spend Mike Evans-type money. Stephen, he's more in line with who I see them signing. And getting back to Marquise Brown, I, I kind of agree. That's why he was a little bit lower on my list, You know, some of the reasons that you gave. But Tyler Boyd, he's one that I really looked at a lot. And I, I could see him in a Texans uniform, not just by the way he plays, but it would certainly match up as far as the salary cap is concerned. You know, I think we were talking about Guys like Mike Evans and, you know, even T. Higgins and those guys. I mean, those would be dream receivers to have if you're willing to pay them. But somebody like a Tyler Boyd is probably a more realistic scenario. Was there anybody else that you had on your list? Because that's my that's my five. Well, I had Gabe Davis, too, you know, as a consideration with the Bills. Um, he's only 24, so he, he's a bit young, and he, he only had 45 receptions. He had 746 receiving yards, seven touchdowns, and 16.6 uh, yards per reception. And he, he was on some lists too, at least in some top 10, and his PFF grade was 67.9. So he was a guy that, that kind of intrigued me too a little bit. Yeah, he's maybe a little bit closer, you know, a guy like him or a guy like Boyd that I brought up. Those are maybe a little bit closer to their price range, but there might be, you know, Noah Brown was somebody that none of us thought of last year, and they might be looking for like Noah Browns. And, that you know, he's somebody that looked like almost like a junk pile guy, you know, no disrespect to Noah Brown, but, you know, they, they signed him a little bit later in the process. And you know, that, that might be something more they're looking for, but I don't feel like they're just ready to run out and do that high-end spending on somebody like T. Higgins or Mike Evans. And I might be wrong. And, you know, if I'm wrong, you could tell me about it. But, you well, know, we were wrong know. about Jim Crane, I guess. So maybe we'd be wrong about <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> about the McNairs and Nick Asario. But, you know, and that brings to the question, you know, as deep as the receiver pool is, do you even want to consider bringing Noah Brown back? I mean, yeah, he had the injury and several injuries, in fact, in the shoulder, I think is what did him in for the playoffs. But I mean, when he was in there, Robert, he made some big plays. I, I mean, he really did. He had, he only had 33 receptions. I mean, you look at some of the stats and, and they're not like really impressive. 567 yards. He only had a couple of receiving touchdowns, but he did make some big plays. If the price is right. And if the health is something that you're not concerned about, and I'm going to repeat those two, if the price is right. Yeah. And if the health is something that you're, that that's what I don't know. I don't know what he's going to cost you. And I don't know where his health is going to be next year, because that's the type of guy that you would want. Even if you were going out to add one of these free agents, you need guys, you just need bodies, especially yeah. with Tank Dell, the injury concerns. I think it'll be fine. I mean, he's already walking around. I mean, I, I'm not concerned about Tank Dell being healthy at the start of next year, unless he gets hurt in, in, in camp or something like that. I, you know, you are worried about Tank Dell getting hurt continuously because of his size and because yeah. of how he plays. Well, yeah. The, the, the last thing, it's funny. I, I thought about this recently. The last thing you want is another Will Fuller type situation where, yeah, when he's in there, man, he tears it up, but he's going to continue to get hurt over and over again. And to be fair to Tank Dell, it's his rookie season. And there are plenty of rookies who can get hurt in their rookie season. So I'm not ready to label him that just yet. No but more it is Robert something Woods. to keep an eye on. No more Robert Woods, though. I mean, that's the type of guy you don't, because you don't need no. a guy that's going to be content. He was somebody that you knew had injury concerns coming in. He was older. You just got to, you got to find some, some guys, a couple, you need two wide receivers, I think, in free agency to replace uh, Robert Woods or to re-sign 
Noah Brown, you need two guys, though, that you you can count on to be healthy or you think you can at least count on to be healthy. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And then if you could snatch one in the draft, that would certainly give you the depth that you want at wide receiver. So there is, you know, that consideration is you have a deep draft of wide receivers and you have a pretty deep pool of wide receiver free agents. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the Texans want to spend that money, especially when we're talking about Jonathan Grenard. You know, how much are they going to be willing to spend on the wide receiver position? Let us know if you think we're way off. We want to hear from you get in the comments and let's get to Astro stuff because a couple of different things, nothing too major this week, but we did see the passing of ex Astros manager, Jimmy Williams, who died at age 80. His record as Astros manager, 215 and 197 in three years. He will be remembered as being booed at the all-star <laughs> game held at Minute Maid Park by his own fans and then being let go the next day. And Stephen, I was at that all-star game. And although I can't remember if I booed, I do remember that I gave a big standing ovation to Muhammad Ali in that game. Well, that's right. Muhammad Ali was there too, wasn't he? And this was the 2004 season, right? Because he he started in 2002. Of course, he replaced Larry Durker. The two full seasons he had with the Astros, they weren't bad. I mean, it was 84 and 78 and then 87 and 75. But as you mentioned, Robert, when you got to the All-Star break, they were 44 and 44. And that was way below what you were expecting. Because remember, you had Roger Clements, you had Andy Pettit in there. Of course, Pettit got hurt, I think, in 2004 and didn't pitch a lot that year. But you, you had so many high expectations. And Oswald. And Oswald. You had Oswald, too. So, yeah, they, they booed Jimmy Williams. And let's let's be honest, Jimmy Williams w- was not the most pleasant guy, at least as, as far as to the media. He was very dry, very serious. At least that's the way I remember him, Robert. I don't know you know, if you feel the same way with that. But, you know, he just was not a popular manager among the media. And he certainly didn't become popular among the fans especially during that season, because that's why you got booed. The Astros were just looking terrible. And yeah, they were 500, but the the expectations were so much higher. And as we know, they turned things around after the All-Star break when Phil Garner took over. They got to the NLCS before losing to St. Louis. And then next year, 2005, they got to the World Series. You know, he just didn't have the charm of Larry Durker or Phil Garner, his replacement, or even an A.J. Hinch that we saw a few years ago. Williams, though, I mean, his career, let's just talk about that for a second. He managed 12 years total. The Blue Jays yeah. and Red Sox, besides Houston, 535 winning percentage. He won AL Manager of the Year in 1999. So he came in with all those credentials. He also won a World Series as a third base coach for the Braves in 95 and as a coach for the Phillies in 08. Retired right after that. So walked out on top. And Stephen, remember when Sid Bream beat Barry Bonds throw at the plate in the 92 yes. NLCS to send the Braves to the World Series? Yes. That was Williams who sent Bream. And after that play, Jimmy Carter ran out on the field and went straight to Jimmy Williams to congratulate him. One Jimmy to another. <laughs> One Jimmy to another. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And yeah, you, you mentioned his record. And look, you know, it was interesting. When he was managing the Red Sox, they fired him in the middle of the season. And you look at his record at that point, that, that particular season, I think he was like 65 and 33 or something. I mean, it wasn't terrible. 65 and 53, rather. It, it wasn't terrible. So there were just some things about Jimmy. Well, he was a decent manager. He, he had better luck as a coach as far as winning World Series. You mentioned he had two World Series. His playing career was even more brief, Robert. What did he only play, like 15 games in his oh, whole Major League career? Yeah, he had 13 at-bats in the Major Leagues, but one of his three career hits, his first one was off Hall of Famer Juan Marichal. His first wow. Major League at-bat was against Sandy Koufax. Not surprisingly, he struck out. Yeah. And if you're wondering why Jimmy was spelled with one M, he wasn't I was just going to get to that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought that might have been on your list. He wasn't born with that spelling. He signed no. a term paper in high school as a prank with that spelling 
nobody cared about it. So he stuck with it. Yeah. He, he kept thinking, I guess, that somebody would catch it. Nobody did. And he just decided to use that as his name. Yeah. I thought that was very interesting because I used to wonder, like, why did he spell it J-I-M-Y? I mean, I figured maybe it was his parents that did it. So yeah, that's a very interesting story. But sad to hear about Jimmy's passing. And, you know, he, he may not have been necessarily the most popular or the greatest Astros manager, but he did get him to a point. He had a couple of good seasons and he had what I would say is a pretty decent baseball career, you know, as a baseball lifer, as a coach and manager. The other thing about him is it's a great story. I mean, he's like one of seven kids. He grew up fairly poor and, you know, his family, you know, just his, I think his mom was in like a one room teaching in a one room schoolhouse or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah he, he's just a good story. The other news this week, uh, sort of Astros news is we have one reliever that's not going to be playing for the Astros from last year for sure. Now that's a done deal, right? Yeah, that is a done deal. And we're not talking about Kendall Graveman. We already know about that. Hector Neris is definitely not coming back because he signed a one-year $9 million deal with the Cubs. Now, you know, there have been probably some questions. You know, he, he turned down the Astros' $8.5 million qualifying offer. So if you look at this deal on the surface, then your question probably is, well, why didn't he just sign with the Astros for $9 million? Or why didn't the Astros just you know, try to pay him $9 million? Well, first of all, what were you going to say, something, Robert? Yeah, I was just going to say that one thing, I, as you said that, I was thinking about is after taxes, I think $9 million in Texas is probably equal to 8.5 in Illinois. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's, it's probably about the same. But so you may wonder that. Well, first of all, Hector Neris was betting on himself. You know, he's going to turn 35 by the time next season gets here. He wanted, I think, in the realm, he wanted a three-year deal somewhere in the neighborhood. I think it was $50 million. Well, the Astros were not going to pay that for him. He, he's still, his, his record is still impressive, but his velocity is going down a bit. You know, his deal was actually $2.5 million less than David Robertson, who is 39 and signed with the Rangers. So, <laughs> but if you look at Neris's deal a little bit closer, it does include a club option for a second season that could turn into a $9 million player option if he makes 60 appearances. That's something to consider. The Astros, I just think we're not going to bring him back on anything more than the qualifying offer considering his age. And now if you look at, the Josh Hader situation. Well, it looks pretty brilliant, Robert. You're signing. Yeah, you're paying him a lot of money, but he's he's 29 and he's the best reliever in baseball, arguably. Well, I, you looked at that Josh Hader situation, but as, as you're spelling out the money, I, I just can't help but think, you know what? We could have offered him $11 million a year for the next three years, but instead we're paying Rafael Montero that money. We could have at least offered well, him that. close to that, you know? There is that. Well, we didn't have Dana Brown for that. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looks pretty bad there. And I think we've talked about that and why that is. Yeah, that's interesting though, that Hector Neris is going to be a Chicago Cub. And what else is interesting is you got another former Astro on the opposite side of Chicago with Martin Maldonado with White Sox. So, you know, what are the, the coming Astros Midwest in Chicago now? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, the, the Astros... You wonder what the moves are on the horizon after the Josh hit, because I I still think there's stuff to go. And yeah. also Dana, Dana Brown said he's got other ideas of what he might do in this offseason. He's not done, he said. Yeah, and that's what gets me to thinking. I just got this feeling that something else is going to happen. And, you know, we were sitting on our hands, Robert, this whole offseason thinking, well, I guess the Astros really aren't going to make any splashes. They're probably going to pick up some bargain bin reliever and try to go in-house and, you know, with the bullpen, which in some cases I think they still will do. But yeah, after the hater deal, I'm kind of wondering if Jim Crane is just ready to go all out here, if not bring in, you know, with a trade or something, maybe extend some of these guys that we've been talking about. Kyle Tucker, Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, because that's going to be a situation we're going to be talking about for a good while. All right. One last thing we got to talk about. 
I was up in the middle of the night because I watched the Lakers game first. I had recorded University of Houston versus the <laughs> Texas Longhorns. And there's not too many chances where you get to see these two face off. We saw it in football. That was just a disaster because the Cougars almost won the game. I say it was a disaster because there was a awful call, awful spot, if you remember. Yeah. But the Cougars got a little bit of revenge going up to UT. Of course, losing that game against UT and Houston. They went up to UT. They won 76-72. Nail-biter overtime game. That was incredible. Fun game to watch, Stephen. It was a fun game. I watched the whole game. Well, I think I missed the first couple of minutes. You know, that game, though, was harder than it probably should have been. Houston had their chances to put Texas away. You know, they had them down by 12 points at one point, allowed them to come back. They, they could have pulled away the, the shooting. You know, I, I mean, Kelvin Sampson, I love his defense. I love his rebounding. But the shooting sometimes just drives me crazy in how inconsistent it is. You know, Houston, I think, only shot like 33% in the first half. I didn't see the overall game stats after the game. 33% from three, which yeah. is okay, but 41% from the field. But really, Stephen, it was – there are two guys took almost all the shots. It was LJ yeah. Cryer and Jamal Shedd. Jamal Shedd. Yeah. Shedd was 11 for 24, 25 points. I mean, Shedd carried the offense for the most part. LJ Cryer, he's just struggled a lot more with the Cougars than I thought, he, especially since we've got into conference play. He was five for 17. If you look at the rest of the starting lineup – Francis just, you know, two shots, one for two. Roberts, five for nine. Sharp, eight shots. He was three for eight. So it was below 50%, but it wasn't terrible. Uh, Tugler off the bench was two for four. Wilson off the bench was one for one. Dunn, he struggled, 0 for three. That's not good from a guy that you are you needed something from, expecting a little bit more from. But LJ Cryer, that's that's really the deal. They, they got to get LJ Cryer going. Yeah, he's been the biggest disappointment, Robert. And, you know, so goes Jamal Shedd, so go the Cougars. And, you know, if you could get LJ Cryer, I, I think at some point it, it seems like he's almost – losing confidence in his shot. You know, there were some games recently where it was almost like he was afraid to take a shot. And there were plenty of positions he could have been in to shoot the ball. So, yeah, if if the Cougars are going to go deep in the NCAA tournament, they've got to get more consistent and not have these two three-minute lulls. And it seems like they have these over the past few years. And yet, you know, they still get pretty deep in the tournament. So I guess maybe they still can. But I just want to see more consistent shooting and better shooting from some of the other guys and not just Jamal Shep. How much of this do you think is about Kelvin Sampson's defense and the legs that it requires to, to run around and be physical and do all of those things just nonstop? He's requiring more than anybody else, I'm sure, in college basketball. And, and that is going to cost you with your shooting. Well, that's a fair point. I mean, and he does stress that those other two so much. And, you know, the Cougars, they, they get a lot of uh, one and done defensive rebounds. And, and, you know, they're also good on the offensive boards, too. Uh, in fact, during the Texas game, there, there were three or four times that they kept getting the, the offensive rebound and the shots just weren't falling. And yeah, that can tend to wear you out, especially as the season goes on. And the one thing I think the Cougars are finding out, though, Robert, Big 12 on the road is a whole lot more difficult than the AAC on the road. I mean, oh, there's some goodness. difficult places to play. You know, the Moody Center is not an easy place to play. And UT, they're still trying to find themselves, but they're not a bad team. So you know, you go to Iowa State, look at them now. They're number 12 in the nation. TCU has crapped the top 25. So, uh, yeah, U of H is finding the Big 12 is a lot different than the AAC on the road, especially. Yeah, the Cougs are, by the way, if you haven't checked, they're ranked four, 19 and two overall, yeah. six and two in conference. But I was just going to ask you, you know, you're up in the Austin area. What's the temperature with the Longhorns 14 and seven, three and five in conference right now? Yeah, they're, they're definitely disappointed, Robert. I think with the season they had last year, especially the way they stuck together through the whole Chris Beard, you know, firing situation. I think people expected a lot more from this team this year. You know, Dylan DeSue came back. He had been injured. And you got Dylan Mitchell. You got uh, Max Asmus. You got some some pretty good shooting guys on that team. But 
they've been kind of up and down themselves. And just when you think that they're getting it together and then they stub their toe. So yeah, they're still trying to figure themselves out and they're, they're definitely going to have to start playing better if they want an NCAA tournament bid. That's for sure. Anyway, the, the Cougs get the last laugh among the major sports or other sports, I'm sure in the big 12 that they might be playing the next few months, but basically there was, you had two chances with the Cougs and the Longhorns in the big 12 at the same time, the Longhorns couldn't run and hide. They had to face the Cougars finally for at least a season. And it comes out one and one. And, you know, it's kind of the one and one that we thought it was Longhorns in football. Cougs in yeah, basketball. I don't think it was any big surprise. Now, you know, Kelvin Sampson had some pretty complimentary things to say about the Moody Center, you know, and he has a pretty big influence on the schedule. So what's to say that the Cougars and Longhorns might get together again in a non-conference game somewhere down the road? I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, that's the Longhorns. I don't think the Cougs are ever going to run from that. No, certainly not. But yeah, Texas certainly, they get to pick and choose who they play too. You know, I, I also have to throw out there that, you know, the Longhorns, uh, they're they're struggling in, in, in basketball, but we know how it is, Stephen. It doesn't make near the dent of a struggling college football team up in Austin. No, it certainly doesn't. And, you know, you lost some guys in the transfer portal, but, you know, they've stolen some Alabama players in the transfer portal too. So, it, you know, the pressure is definitely going to be on Texas football to equal or even surpass what they did this year, Robert. You know, the, the, the expectations are going to be up. Now that Texas is quote-unquote back, they're going to have to do it again next year, and it's going to be the SEC. So, oh boy. I think they were saying, I not think, I, I read on social media, the word was from one of the Cougar reporters that the Longhorn fans, as they were leaving that game, were saying, yeah, but we got your best player. And Matthew Golden, the wide receiver. Yeah. So uh, they, yeah, they I think Matthew Golden's going to do some great things. So I said that as soon as I found out he was transferring to Texas. So, yep, they, they did steal a former Cougar. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say they took some solace in, in, in grabbing him. But uh, good stuff. Uh, we'll talk to you again next week, Stephen. Again, if everybody uh, wants to get in the comments and let us know what you think about the, the Texans and that wide receiver situation, what would you do? Let us know. Thanks again. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.